Welcome to Making Your Impact, a podcast to inspire and equip you to pursue your calling and make your positive impact on the world. I'm your host, Melissa Ike. I have a passion for making an impact, and I also have a passion for helping you make yours. So let's get started. Welcome back to Making Your Impact. I am so happy that you are here with me today. For those of you who don't know me, I am your host, Melissa Ike. I am a nonprofit co-founder and one of the directors, an anti-human trafficking activist, attorney, speaker, and writer. You can learn more about me at melissaike.com. That is melissaike.com. In today's episode, I'm going to tell you about three projects I pursued super hardcore in my life because I knew that I was supposed to do them even though I had to fight back a lot of insecurities and fears in order to do so. The fight was worth it because those three projects ended up absolutely changing my life and defining how I am making my impact today. But before we dive in, as always, it is time for our Instagram shout out of the week. This week's shout out goes to Anna Cruz. Anna recently followed the podcast Insta at Making Your Impact. Anna is a friend of mine and one of the kindest, most giving, and one of the funniest people ever, ever to exist. And I'm proud to know her, quite frankly. So Anna, thank you for following the podcast Instagram. If you would like a shout out as well, just head over to at Making Your Impact on Instagram, click the follow button, and I may just give you a shout out on the show as well. Okay, so let's get into today's topic. These three sort of like projects or periods of time in my life just changed my life as it was. And like I mentioned, defined the impact that I am still making today. These were all projects that I felt so compelled in my heart to pursue. And I think I've mentioned this before on the show. I'm a person of faith and I felt a strong calling to participate in all three of these things, but I did not know why. They all caused a huge jump in my insecurities, which was unpleasant. And I also felt like I should be spending my time on something more important or more professional, something that would make money or something that seemed more directly related to my future, even though they were, but I didn't know it at the time. And I just honestly, I felt silly for even wanting to do them. And frankly, I feared the judgment of others But even though I had all those misgivings, I just I couldn't like stop myself from diving in because the pull to do them was too strong. Uh, Little did I know that all the time that I spent on them would be totally worth it um, just because they had that much of an effect on my life. Before I get into those specifics, I wanted to say, though, that the reason I'm sharing about all this is because I imagine there's a good chance that you've experienced something like this, too. If we feel called to make an impact of some sort, there's going to be opposition to that. It might come against us in the form of people who put us down or try to block our progress, or maybe they're even well-meaning, but they discourage us from pursuing something. Or it might come in the form of circumstances that suddenly arise in life. But I think across the board, the opposition also always comes against us in the form of lies and insecurities, telling us that we're not good enough, um, that we can't do it, that what we're doing is stupid, that we're stupid for even thinking about it, that we don't have what it takes 
And then at least for me, it comes in the form, it has come in the form of just like outright fear that pursuing this path will lead to literal ruin of my life, um, financial ruin, ruin of relationships or my reputation because fear is very dramatic in that way. But it's so good at convincing us of the very worst things that could happen. I've experienced all of these kinds of fears and insecurities I have been in that position where the struggle in my heart, you know, there's this, there's this struggle, like this war, this battle going on in my heart between a strong sense of calling to do something and then these voices that are shouting, they're screaming at the top of their lungs at me, trying to pull me away from that calling. I have had the experience of waking up in the middle of the night and feeling like it was, it's time to give up. It wasn't going to go anywhere. What I think I'm doing is so dumb. It's not going to work and I can't do it. I don't have what it takes and it's just time to give in. I did not allow those times to influence my decision, but they were hard times. They were painful. But then I have also, on the flip side of that, I've experienced that quiet voice of peace telling me to keep going, to continue taking steps of faith that even though I can't see the outcome right now. There will be an outcome that is good for me and good for others and that this is the way to joy and meaning and fulfillment, even if it seems silly right now. And that voice is often not as dramatic and compelling as the voices of fear and insecurities. But when I have pursued what brings me peace, it has always worked out. And sometimes the things that give me peace were actually like the craziest risks. And honestly, honestly, I could have felt that way about doing this podcast. There have been, a, I mean, I've been developing this for about a year and there have been times that I thought, why am I doing this? Is this really how I should be spending my time? Here's the thing too, though. The cool thing, I guess you could say, about going through the hard part and all that opposition as we take steps to make our impact is that we get tougher on the other side. When we've fought through that opposition and continue to take those steps, even though it's hard, it gets easier. And I mean, not that it's going to be straight up easy, but easier uh, because those oppositions are always going to come. But yeah, it's just easier to move past them as we gain experience doing so. That's that's been what I have experienced at least. So for example, with this podcast, when those fears and insecurities rose up, I was pretty well equipped to say, listen, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know its full purpose. I don't know fully why I'm doing it, except that I feel compelled to. And I know enough by now to recognize that this is something I'm supposed to do. So I got faith that I can figure it out and I'm going to see where it takes me. You know, 10 years ago, that would have been much harder. But all of these life experiences, including these three that I'm going to tell you about today, played a big role in equipping me to continue to take those steps. So now, without further ado, here are the three projects that I keep mentioning but haven't actually talked about yet at all. Project number one, my card-making party. This was in 2013, so I'd been practicing law for almost two years, but I kept having this calling on my heart to take action against human trafficking. It was so strong, like it was getting stronger every single day. Uh, it was like almost tangible. But that struggle was going on in my heart so hard. Like, why would I take time out of building my law career to do this? Like, it was foolish 
to do that. I mean, at the time, I already had an, an inkling, you could say, that a traditional full-time legal career wasn't for me. I think I knew that, but I was a new enough out of law school where that's the track that they train you for. And I just had not yet quite gotten my mind like wrapped around the idea of any other options. So that was a hard period of time trying to figure out what to do with that. So in a conversation with my parents at the beginning of that summer in 2013, they asked me point blank what I really, really wanted to do. And it was the first time I had voiced it out loud. I said, uh, I want to be like a speaker or something about human trafficking, like all questions, because I didn't even know what that was or if that was a thing. And my parents, they were like, well, what? Why haven't you ever said this before? And I said, I don't think until this moment that I fully put it together, that that's what I wanted to do. I I mean, I could not have ever expected that less than three years later, I would co-found a nonprofit the Dragonfly Home in Oklahoma City that has now been serving victim survivors of human trafficking for years. But, you know, before I could get to the point of founding the organization, I needed to have this conversation, have this realization, and start fighting through those insecurities and taking steps forward. So I spent that summer doing research on how to get involved in human trafficking, like really looking into it. I attended some like local meetings around town in Tulsa where I was living at the time. Mostly I started to learn about international organizations. There really wasn't a lot of information out there yet about human trafficking. I mean, honestly, there still isn't a ton of good quality information out there today, but it has drastically increased since then. So I kind of started where I knew. I had initially learned about human trafficking, mainly as sex trafficking, taking place in Eastern Europe. That was just my first exposure to it. I had not yet learned about how sex trafficking and labor trafficking take place every day in every part of the United States, affecting people from around the world, but also U.S. citizens. I just wasn't, I didn't have that knowledge yet, but I had found an organization that was serving women in Eastern Europe who had suffered sex trafficking. And this, this organization on their website, they had like this big list of ways to help. And one of the ways listed was to send greeting cards with encouraging messages for the survivors of sex trafficking they were serving. I will say that now I know that the best way to help a nonprofit is to raise money for them. But I mean, I was new to this. And that thing about the cards really caught my attention because in the days of my youth, especially in my early teen years, my mom and I took a lot of like crafty type classes where we learned about creating handmade cards using fancy papers and scissors and rubber stamps and special lettering and all sorts of tools and tricks and tips, just the whole nine yards. And so I saw that and I thought to myself, this is something I can do. Like I know how, I know how to make some dang cards. And then I'm also combine that with the fact that I'm someone who likes to make a party out of pretty much everything. So I invited about 15 of my friends to come to my one bedroom apartment on the evening of August 7th, 2013. Like that's a meaningful date to me to create some handmade cards and then write encouraging messages on the inside. And like, I love that night. It was so fun. I made a playlist of like empowering music. I was so excited. I had my own craft supplies, but let me tell you, these women showed up with literal caboodles full of 
markers and scissors and shape cutters and glitter and ribbon and papers and stickers, like you name it. And they had it and they all crammed in around my small dining room table. And in a few hours, we had made 96 handmade greeting cards and they had made these like gorgeous masterpieces. It was incredible. So when it was all said and done that night, the last person left around midnight and I was like packing the cards into three big envelopes. And then like the craziest thing happened that makes this date stand out in my memory even more than this card making party. So one of my best friends, Anna, who actually you heard my conversation with in episodes five and six. So she had just left a few days earlier, embarking on her own impact-making life change because she and her husband and her kids had left to become official missionaries in Southern Africa. And she had only been there like 48 hours at that point. It was almost 2 a.m., so almost 9 a.m. her time. And so I logged in to check my email because why not at that time of day? And her name popped up as being available for chat. And okay, this has never, it had never happened before and it has not happened since. So I was so excited and I messaged her like, oh my gosh, how are you doing? And we chatted for a few minutes. And then she said that she had met someone who worked for an organization serving victim survivors of sex trafficking there where she was in Africa. And I should look up the organization. And so I Googled it. And I couldn't believe my eyes. And Anna didn't even know this when she told me about it. The organization's headquarters was in Oklahoma City, like less than two hours from where I was living. And I'd been searching for an organization to get involved with. And they were having a volunteer meeting like 10 days later. So I ended up getting involved with that organization, volunteering with them for the next two and a half years. And I met my fellow Dragonfly co-founders there. So that night... I took my very first step toward intentionally getting involved in human trafficking in this way that didn't seem serious, right? A card-making party. Someone could be like, that's frivolous or that's silly. But once I got the idea for the card-making party, I was like, what was I like? Like a locomotive engine, maybe, is the analogy. Like, I couldn't be stopped. A steamroller, perhaps, um, couldn't get in my way. I was going to do it. I was totally sold out for it and so excited about it and getting other people involved. And so any of those insecurities I had about it being silly, I wrangled those somehow. And now looking back, it's crazy how soon it became clear that taking that first small kind of insignificant feeling step It's like it directly opened up doors for me to take bigger strides into my calling to fight human trafficking. So over the next few months, I started volunteering at that organization in small ways, like doing legal research, that kind of thing. And then the end of 2013 rolled around and the next of my three projects presented itself. That would make my insecurity skyrocket by a factor of one million. Project two. December. That's right. I'm saying December, like the word dress and the word December. I'll explain. So toward the end of November 2013, something popped up on Facebook. Isn't that how it goes? And it was for something called December. And this was an anti-human trafficking movement started a few years prior when a woman named Blythe Hill, uh, who wanted to get involved against human trafficking, challenged herself to wear a dress every day in December 
and use it as like um, something to get people's attention and to raise awareness of human trafficking. So then over the next few years, then she got like some of her, her friends to join in and it really gained momentum. And so that year... Uh, in 2013, Dressember had started to gain international recognition and people all over the world were participating. And so the deal was you were supposed to create a fundraising page to get donations for organizations fighting human trafficking. And then you were supposed to wear a dress and post about it on social media every single day in December. Ugh, I remember I remember exactly where I was the day I saw that Facebook post. I was sitting in my car outside my apartment building in Tulsa, just staring at my phone because I knew the instant that I saw it that I was supposed to do it. No deliberation, no wondering, just boom. I knew in my heart that I had seen this for a reason and I was no questions asked supposed to participate. And by that day, it was already like November 25th and dress summer started in five days. At the time, I had one dress in my closet. And do you know why? Because I felt so stupid wearing dresses. So dumb. Oh, my gosh. I hated wearing dresses. They made my insecurities just shoot through the roof. They, it made me feel like I wasn't myself. I I just, for years, for, for my whole life up to that point, I had felt that way. Never comfortable in dresses or skirts. I just avoided them entirely. And now this thing that I was supposed to do, I was supposed to wear a dress every day in public. And I had to post about it on social media. I was like, this is a nightmare scenario. And it's what I know I'm supposed to do. But whatever that battle was in my heart, like, again, the calling won out. And it's kind of like I just had to kind of buckle down, grit my teeth, and just grin and bear it because there was no escaping the call in my heart that I had to do this. So I got a couple more dresses using some gift cards that I had, very handy, and I braced myself and then December 1st rolled around and I made my first post. Of course, because of the insecurities, I spent so much time on that photo, like trying on different styles and scarves and because you had to like create different outfits with it to wear for the whole month. And that is how the next 31 days went. I put so much time and effort into every photo I posted, you know, styling it in different ways, taking a whole bunch of photos until I got one that I felt like okay posting on social media. And then not only spending time on the images, but then this is really, this is where I think it really um, started to affect me because I was spending a ton of time on the text of each post. So now for the first time, I was really spending a lot of time researching about human trafficking and like gathering facts about it. Because the more I started to learn, the more I realized like human trafficking was happening in the U.S. and people didn't know about it. And there was this urgency in my heart to raise awareness, to communicate about this really well, and to share the best information I knew at the time. And so I was spending a lot of time doing that. Hello, training for my future job as director of communications and development for an anti-human trafficking organization I co-founded. I felt so guilty about all the time that I was spending on it. I thought this must be completely frivolous, like raising awareness of human trafficking, not frivolous, but to put all this time into the styling and the photos and spending time on social media and then 
like to have to consume my thoughts and so much of my day. I'm like, I should be spending my time in a different way. Like the guilt that I felt even as I was doing it and I knew somewhere in my heart that piece I was telling you about, I knew that it was right. But like all these insecurities were shouting at me constantly. But so what was cool, though, at the same time, this battle, I'm telling you. So over those 31 days, a few interesting things happened. First of all, I suddenly stopped feeling stupid wearing dresses. I totally leaned into it and I discovered this whole new facet of myself. I developed this whole new area of confidence. Shoot, I wear dresses all the time now. And it's because of that. It's like it broke down that insecurity, which is pretty cool. I also raised a couple hundred dollars with my fundraising page, a modest amount, but still. But then most importantly, I was basically getting a taste of working full-time fighting human trafficking, and it was all I wanted to do. Little did I know, there's that phrase again, little did I know that a month of feeling, just completely silly, feeling like others would judge me, it actually would open up enormous doors for me to take further steps into this, which is one of my life's callings. At the end of December that month, I was driving home after spending Christmas in Iowa and the assistant director of the organization I had been volunteering with called me. It was Whitney Anderson, who just two years later would become one of my fellow co-founders of the Dragonfly Home. I didn't know her too much yet, but she asked if I would create, lead, carry out an event in Tulsa, she was in Oklahoma City, if I would do one in Tulsa that next month in January for Human Trafficking Awareness Month, which I did, I spent the whole next month organizing a human trafficking awareness rally, met one of my new closest friends, and and really did the first kind of event like that in Tulsa. So that was the first door. Then that March, having noticed my social media presence during December, this organization asked if I would take over their social media, and that was a second door. By the end then of that year, 2014, they created the position of communications director for me. And then in spring of 2016, when we felt called to pursue a new way to serve victims of human trafficking in Oklahoma City, my co-founders and I established the Dragonfly Home. Like you can see a direct line fighting through those insecurities that were trying to shout me down leading up to and during December, not only strengthened me in new ways, but that led me in the direction of pursuing my calling. And it absolutely defined how I would make my impact in human trafficking that I'm still doing today. And I just can't help but shake my head and wonder when I remember those times and just think about how much it was worth it to push through that hard opposition because I I just would not be where I am today. I'm so, so thankful for that. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you about the third project, shift gears a little bit, and all the great insecurities involved with that. We will be right back. If you're interested in joining a community that could inspire and equip you even further as you're making your impact, consider joining Team Impact on my Patreon. If you join now at any of the subscription tiers available, you would be one of the very first members and you'd play a role in helping me build a truly supportive community for others who are seeking to make their impact. 
And if I do say so myself, every tier comes with fun additional benefits too. You can check it out for yourself at patreon.com slash Melissa Ike, which is spelled E-I-C-K. I hope to see you on Team Impact. We are back. So project number three, memoir. For this third project that I worked on that I felt quite silly pursuing at first, I was going to rewind real quick to summer 2011. I had just graduated from law school and I was studying for my first bar exam, the Virginia bar exam. How to explain studying for a bar exam? First of all, you feel like your entire life and future depends on it. It's very dramatic. I spent 10 hours studying every day for 10 weeks. No breaks, no days off. No kidding. Seriously. It consumed every waking moment. Um, And honestly, some of my sleeping moments, I guess, because example, that summer, I would sometimes wake up in the morning and I would have rotated 180 degrees in the middle of the night to put my head at the foot of the bed. I had no memory of getting up and moving. I would just wake up and be facing the opposite end of the bed. So what's that about? I don't even know. It had never happened before and it has not happened since. The bar exam does weird things to your head. That's all I can figure. It's like it literally had me turned around. Um, So that whole summer, my entire future, though, was nothing but just an enormous question mark. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. The cause of human trafficking had become important to me during law school, but I didn't realize yet the level of calling I had in that area. I kept praying that God would give me a vision for my life. And then what's funny is one day while I was studying, of course, at one of my favorite Tulsa coffee shops, it suddenly dawned on me that it was way better for God to wait before he gave me a vision for my life or even the next step of my life. And I got the impression that he was saying, if I give you the vision for your life now, do you think you would be able to keep studying or would you probably want to run after it? And I was like, good call. (laughs) Very good call. Probably better to wait until after the bar exam. So then on my flight back to Tulsa from Roanoke, Virginia, after all was said and done with the bar exam, and I was just minding my own business, when The vision I know I had been seeking just dropped into my heart out of nowhere. And it came in the form of one word, writing. I was like, writing? What? I had just graduated from law school. The only reason I went to law school is because I felt led to. I had just taken the bar exam because I felt like I was supposed to. And now you're telling me that the vision for my life is writing? I was like, no, nope, that that can't possibly be right. (laughs) So... That threw me for a loop, and I spent the next few years doing other things, important things, obviously. That's what I've been talking about this whole episode. And I fiddled around with writing here and there, but never really landed on anything. Then, six years later, now we're in 2017. I should make a timeline, huh? I was in my bedroom one night cleaning out a closet when out of the blue it hit me that I needed to stop avoiding it. Stop fiddling around with writing and take it seriously. I mean, it hit me so hard. I like sat down on my bed to contemplate what was happening. And I was like, but what on earth am I going to write? And then I got an answer. And that answer was a memoir, a memoir about my life. I can't even tell you the insecurities that filled my head. Here are some examples. Who would read such a thing? What would I write about? 
Who was I? I was no one. I had done nothing important. I didn't have anything of any value to share with anyone. Why on earth would I write this book? I I mean, the answer was very clear, but I was like, this makes no sense. Um, also, this was about a year, a little over a year into founding the Dragonfly Home. And at that point, that was literally consuming 24 hours of my day. I mean, waking hours, sleeping hours, it was everything, everything. And also, that was a place that was literally saving and changing the lives of victim survivors of human trafficking. Like, that's important. Was this not this idea about writing a memoir? Was that not the silliest and most frivolous use of my time yet? <laughs> um, but I will say, like, after that initial shock, by then, I see, I had a lot more experience with this kind of thing. By then, I'd moved to Oklahoma City, co-founded this nonprofit, and seen all kinds of crazy dreams and answers to prayer. And then also by that point, I had witnessed, you know, something sort of similar with these other two projects I talked about, the card making party in December, because it really felt very similar. The the type of insecurity and the level of insecurity and fears, um, I'd already had time to witness that and process through it and see how those things had completely changed my life, how fighting through the insecurities had had such a huge payoff. And so I was like, all right, I'm not going to question this any further. I was going to see what would happen if I write a memoir about my life. (laughs) Okay. And so I started and a lot more cool things happened later, like throughout that year, as I started taking steps toward that process that I'll have to get into in another episode. It might be too long. But by the end of 2017, I had a draft of a memoir and it, at that point, it finally made sense to me. It had a theme and I understood the purpose of it. And writing that book, which isn't even published yet, I'm still working on it, has already led to cool things. And frankly, this very podcast that you are listening to came out of working on that, which who could have seen that? I could never have seen that two years ago when I first got the idea. It has led to friendships. It has led to me discovering things about myself. It has led to new opportunities in the area of writing um, and speaking that I could not have ever imagined. So you're getting the hint by now. I mean, you're seeing the common theme with all of these. I guess I just wanted to encourage you that if you are fighting against these kinds of lies and fears and insecurities as you pursue making your impact, I just wanna say, first of all, it's normal. I think we would be hard pressed to find someone truly making an impact in this world who hasn't had to battle with this kind of thing. And it will look different and have specifications for every single person. And yet it is also a common experience. And then second, I want to encourage you that it is so worth it to fight through those hard times, that opposition, whatever you want to call it. You have a calling for a reason. And like I'm always telling you every episode, the world needs you to pursue that in a way that works for you right now and start making steps. And my belief is the fact that you would be facing opposition of some kind means that there's something to that calling. Because why would there even be an opposition to it at all if it didn't matter, if it didn't have weight and um, meaning and the potential to make a big impact So it's, I'm not saying it's easy, 
But I'm saying just taking small step after small step, find someone who you can talk to about it, who will support you. I want this podcast to be a voice that helps encourage you to take those steps and keep fighting. I hope that this encourages you to fight the discouragement. When it's trying to tell you that what you're doing to pursue making your impact is too small or seems too silly or it isn't worth your time, you just never know what is going to open up doors for you. If you have an idea on your heart for even just a step toward your calling and you just can't shake it, you can't get rid of it, don't give up on it and don't give into the lies that try to convince you to just forget it. I know that it's easier said than done. But the thing is, I literally do. I literally know that it's easier said than done because I've been there, but you can do it and you've got what it takes. And as you continue to take steps, you will, I believe that you'll open those doors. When you walk with intentionality, you'll find people, you'll find resources and, and then eventually get there. I just believe in you so much. And if we were talking, you and I face-to-face, I would love to delve further into this topic and ask you a bunch of questions about your experiences with this kind of thing. But this is a podcast, and so that's not how this works. But I did come up with one specific question to ask you. Before I get to that, though, it is time for one of our regular segments on making your impact, the Leslie Nope Corner. In the Leslie Nope Corner, I highlight a quote from my favorite impact-making fictional heroine, Leslie Nope, from the NBC show Parks and Recreation. You can watch all seasons of Parks and Rec on Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon Prime. Today's Leslie Nope quote comes from Season 2, Episode 22, entitled The Telethon. Ugh, it's such a fantastic episode. It has some of my favorite moments of the whole series. It's so funny. The gist is in this episode, Leslie is directing a four-hour segment of a Pawnee telethon to fight diabetes. But her segment is from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And she stays up the 24 hours before she stays up for another 24 hours to carry out this telethon segment. But she had to embroider her t-shirts with her new slogan, diabetes, let's diabete this. (laughs) That's not the quote. It just makes me laugh to think about it. Okay, so anyway, nothing goes according to her plan during her segment. Tom Haverford lets her down. She has to completely rearrange her performance schedule. Now Ron steps up to cane a chair. She has someone, Barney, come in to talk about tax software um, just so that she could fill the time. So she's freaking out. And so this is what she does. She steps away for a moment and she makes a phone call to herself and she leaves herself this voicemail. Hey, Leslie, it's Leslie. Hang in there. I love you. Bye. I just love that. It makes me smile just to think about it. She doesn't engage in self-blame. She doesn't start using negative self-talk, calling herself names, all the things that I do that I wouldn't be tempted to do in her situation when things are not going well and I'm freaking out. Instead, she speaks to herself with kindness and grace and encouragement like she would to a friend. 
And I think a lot of us have the experience where the things that we say to ourselves and the names that we call ourselves, the ways that we put ourselves down, we would never do that to a friend. And that gets me. It really does. And I just, I know I can certainly stand to be more like this. Speaking to myself with grace, it's an area I have grown in, but I think as long as we're on this earth, it's something that we can all grow in. So this is a good reminder. So now as we wrap up, here is your question of the up. Have you ever experienced insecurities trying to come against you, trying to come against your calling to make an impact? And if so, what steps have you tried to at least begin overcoming them? I know that it can be a process, but every step is important. And I would love to hear if you've got experiences like this because I could encourage someone else on their journey. Please leave your comment in the question post Please leave your comment in the post for this episode, episode 13, on the podcast Instagram at Making Your Impact. If you have thoughts or questions or something you'd like to hear more about on the podcast, you can always email me at hello at melissaike.com or leave a voice message by clicking the link in the show notes. You can also follow me personally on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the platforms by searching Melissa Ike, which is spelled E-I-C-K. On the next episode, I will be sharing another resource from our friend Gretchen Rubin that will help equip you with helpful strategies as you're making your impact. As always, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Please keep listening to get inspired and remember that the world needs you to make your impact.